Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about playtesting, quite possibly the most important aspect of working on a game design. We're talking to Jay Cormier. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I, I would absolutely agree with you. It is the most important part of, of uh, designing games. Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, it's not necessarily the funnest part. I, I think the funnest part is coming up with the designs and what could be and, you know, the possibilities and you writing all these ideas down in your notebook and then you get to kind of do the arts and crafts of making the prototype and the fun that goes with that. And then you get to sit down with some other people or maybe just by yourself at first and, and actually play the game and realize it's not any good. And uh, <laughs> that's not not the funnest part for sure, but definitely the, the, the part of the design process that goes, you know, from nothing to something. And so I'm excited to talk to you about this. You've designed tons and tons of games. And so I know you've got some really interesting ideas and advice on, on this process. And actually, let's get into that. Tell me who you are, how you got in, how you got into game design, all that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. I'm Jay. And uh, yeah, I've designed, I don't even know, not anymore, a dozen-ish games. Uh, some of the notable ones are like Junk Art and Belfort, Akrotiri, uh, Rock Paper Wizard. And then uh, In the Hall of the Mountain King uh, just came out, uh, just finished on Kickstarter recently. Uh, how I got into the game design is I think how most people get into game designs. We, you know, I played a lot of games and um, uh, often with my uh, often partner, Sen Fung Lim, uh, we play a lot of games and eventually, you know, just like anybody, we're like, you know what? We could make a game better than this game that we just played, whatever it was. And uh, so we would try to uh, try our hand at making a game. Yeah. Awesome. And you, you guys got into this over a decade ago. Like how long have you been doing this? Yeah, pretty close to 15 years ago. Well, I, it's almost like, I don't know, 18 or so years ago when we started, but like pretty much like so many people with any creative medium, um, we tried it and we it sucked and it was really terrible and we couldn't figure it out and we didn't have any knowledge 18, 17 years ago about how to do anything. And so it just kind of, we started talking about it less and less as we met up to do other things and it just kind of fell off the plate and we never talked about it again. And so it wasn't until I actually moved away from the province. I'm in Canada. So I moved away from the province that Sen lived in, in the same city that Sen lived in. And I moved to, all the way to uh, Vancouver, different uh, you know, uh, side of the world, really, for, from talking about Canada. And uh, he came out to visit. And we started saying, you know, we're not going to really stay in touch unless we have something to talk about. <laughs> so let's do games again. And let's bring it up. And let's try to figure out how we can do this. And, and that's, how, that's how it kind of started for us. Yeah, very cool. And that was back in the days before blogs, really, before a bunch of podcasts about game design. And so you guys are oh, just there was zero it. zero support out there at that time. There was nothing. There, I mean, BGG exists, of course, but it's just as resource. There was no. There was hardly anything out there to uh, guide us. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And funny thing is, I guess BGG probably looked about the same as it does now. Uh, and I don't think much has changed as far as the aesthetics of that, but like the explosion of information out there, whether you're talking about Jamie Stegmar's blog or Ludology or, you know, all sorts of different resources exist now. And so you guys were just figuring it out. And so the amazing thing about you guys, you came up with Belfort in spite of the lack of information, the lack of knowledge and, you know, 
I've seen, I've read a lot of your blog posts that are on your and Sam's blog of just going out and, and meeting publishers and with sell sheets and like all these different things. And so it's really cool what you guys have been able to accomplish over the last 15 years. Yeah. I'm obviously very proud of it and it's, uh, it's done us well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into the topic at hand. Let's talk about playtesting. First of all, let's get a good working definition. Like let's say somebody's never heard of game design. Let's just kind of start from the, the bare minimum. What is playtesting in your opinion? Um, I, I, let's start with by saying that there's actually different phases of playtesting, mm. and um, I'll start even with the, the solo playtesting. And so the concept here is that you've come up with an idea for a game, you've put pen to paper, you've made cut up some cue cards and grabbed some dice and some random tokens, and you're moving these things around trying to figure out is this interesting? Is this fun? And that's what playtesting is: is you're trying to figure out these mechanics, these rules, these concepts that you came up with. Um, do they move around and create an interesting, engaging sense of, of play? Are, your, are, are there some meaningful decisions being had? Is there, is there something fun or interesting about it? And that's that's what you do with solo playtesting. When the, the idea is so fresh and the, the game is so new, you don't really want to expose your friends and family to it yet because you know a lot of the time it will not be a fully fleshed out concept or idea or game and, and it will kind of suck, uh, which is fine. That's, but this is why we solo play test to try to figure out if this is um, something to it or not. Yeah, definitely. I think solo playtesting is where my main question is, is there a game in here somewhere? You know, it's not very good. The mechanisms are definitely, you know, not figured out. The game's broken. I don't even have a win condition necessarily, but is there a game in here at all? And if so, then maybe I can move on to, you know, maybe some more prototyping, maybe some more playtesting. All right. So that's kind of the early stages. What's next? Yeah. And I I like that idea of, is there a game in here? And what's, what's great is if you're open and if you're, um, I guess open is the best word to to the results of your playtest, even as a solo playtest, open enough to allow the game to move in a direction other than what was initially intended. I think you'll be in, in for some treats and surprises because sometimes you design a game with something in mind and the playtest indicates, even a solo playtest indicates, well, that, that part actually is fun, but this part over here is fun but that doesn't really fit with my theme. Maybe I'll change my theme. You know what would be a better theme would be about insects. Yeah, let's do that. And like, if you can go with the punches and follow the fun, then you, I think you'll have a better time with playtesting. But if you're really set on something, I, not that you won't have as much fun, but you're going to, I think I'll have a harder time if you're regimented and strict about exactly what you're trying to make. Uh, it's just going to be a tougher challenge, which has, sometimes can be its own fun. Yeah, that's a great point. Follow the fun, I think is a great way uh, to look at this, what is enjoyable? Because your initial idea might not be any fun at all, but some kind of tertiary idea that you just kind of all of a sudden thought of while you're moving the tokens around on the table is like, oh, wait, this this might be a game over here. And I think that's another reason that I, I tend to change is because I can't make something work. Like I have this idea, it's like, I want to make it work, but it, it just won't work. And so let me try it from a different angle. And a lot of times I'll end up with a better game or a more fun game just from yeah. running into a brick wall and having to figure out how do I get around this? Maybe I'll go a different direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And then once, once you think you've got enough of the mechanics, like this is actually kind of neat. That's where you, uh, in my mind, we go to what's called a, a beta. So that first phase we call alpha phase. That's what I call it, at least where you're in the, you're figuring things out. Where is the game? And then when you've kind of figured out what is the game, like this, this is the game. I, and here's the mechanics. And I think this is cool. I, the balance is going to be all over the place, but now I can start to bring other people in and get them to test the game. So you explain the rules to them. Uh, these are going to be your friends, your family, these kind of things. But you're there explaining the rules. You're For the first while, you're for sure playing the game with them as well as one of the players. And because you you haven't really fully experienced the entire game yourself as uh, with competitors. Um, so you play the game with them. You explain the rules. And uh, you 
as you progress through this phase, you start to slowly uh, extricate yourself from the playtest so that you can be more of an observer and watching people. But in the beginning, for sure, you're playing all the time uh, and, and uh, just kind of testing the systems and uh, making sure and just seeing, again, where's the fun? Because even at this point, you can still bend and twist and, and your playtesters are going to tell you things that you never thought of before. And it's gold. And I think that's one of the key things about playtesting is that openness. And and so many times have I seen new designers playtest their game with a with the thought in their head that this game is the best game that's ever existed in the history of time. They can't wait to show people and they playtest it. And then people have feedback that is contrary to their initial belief of how awesome this game is. And if you're defensive about it, that's just really the wrong stance to take when playtesting. Because you got to really think about it. What is this person doing and person slash people doing here uh, spending their time playtesting your game? What's their purpose? What's their goal? It's not to you know tear down somebody's dream. Their goal is to make this game better, which should be your goal. And if, if those two are aligned, if you're all try, disabled trying to make this game better, that then turns into a magical, awesome experience of gaining feedback from your playtesters. That's when it's that's when you're excited about playtesting. Yeah, for sure. I view playtesting, especially in the early stages, is like going for a, for a checkup, going for a doctor's appointment. And you might think you're really healthy, but you need to run some tests just to kind of make sure everything's where it's supposed to be. And when the doctor comes in and says, hey, it, you're really sick. Hey, you've got these problems. Hey, this is this is not good. You need to fix this. You probably shouldn't argue with the doctor and be like, no, no, I am completely fine. I am totally <laughs> healthy. My heart's in great shape. Like that's the same kind of thing in playtesting. Your, your game <laughs> is probably sick. <laughs> It's it's a not bad analogy. I just hope playtesting is a lot more fun than a doctor visit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> but it's you know, like just in the same way, you wouldn't want to argue with your doctor. Like, don't argue with the playtester. Just say thank you. I really appreciate you letting me know. I'm going to work on that and see what I can do to make this better. Right. Yeah, I had one one example where I was playtesting somebody's game, and they were a new designers. Fine, playtesting their game, and at the end, they they wanted some feedback, so I started giving feedback. Um, you know, polite and constructive, but feedback and everything that was brought up was defended about why that wasn't a good idea or why I had tried that and it didn't work and why this is um, this way it is. And so after two or three attempts of me trying to get feedback, I just shut down. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I mean, internally, I'm thinking, obviously you don't want my feedback. So I, I'm not really sure why we spend any time at all playtesting your game. Uh, I think some people think playtest is just a way to advertise or to uh, get the word out about how awesome this game is and give me a quote or something. I'm not sure, but uh, the uh, the whole thing about playtesting in my mind is I just am so excited to play it, even though I think in my head this is the best game of all time and I play it and it isn't. Uh, that doesn't depress me. That gets me excited because I I, I hear the ideas and I I often am agreeing. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That would be better if I could solve that issue or this or fix this. That would be that would make the game way better. Oh, I can't wait to go back to my computer and update my prototype and print it out and play test. I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait to get back in that cycle again. So it, to me, it gives me energy and excites me. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really the difference between being a professional versus being an amateur, right? Is understanding right. that this is the process. This this yeah. is the thing, right? This isn't just part of the process. This is the process of making a game great. Uh, and something I think a lot of people, especially new designers, don't understand. There's a big difference between playing your game and playtesting your game. Because if you're just playing it, fine. You're just gonna, like any other game, you get off your shelf. You're going to play it. Somebody's going to win. People are going to lose. Cool. Let's play the next one. 
that's fine. But if you're playtesting, that means you're going into a really more of a researcher's mindset or a scientific mindset of, I have a hypothesis about this game. I think this power is over, is over is overpowered. I think this uh, mechanism is a little bit broken. I think my victory track system, the way I'm you know, scoring points, maybe it needs to be tweaked a little bit. And so you're going into it with a question and a hypothesis in mind. And then you're looking at the data, looking at the information and, and seeing what it tells you and, and making adjustments, making changes. That's playtesting. It's not right. just playing a game. And so I think more people need to just grasp that concept. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I'm going to ask you a question, Gabe, but I'm going to actually ask the uh, uh, the listeners as well. So let's give a pause for them to think about what they would answer. Okay. But let's say you're playtesting your game and you realize that it's gone off the rails. And uh, for example, one player is crazy ahead in, in the lead with uh, um, due to something that's not balanced. And uh, it's demotivating the other players because they can't, there's no way they could win. But you're only halfway through the, the, the test. What do you do at that moment? I'm going to let people pause and, and kind of ponder for a moment. Yeah. I yeah. think that's, that's probably good enough time. I personally, I love 20 minute play tests. Like my, my, my design in general is, is like 60 minute games. That's around my design space right now. I love 60 minute games, 45 to 60. And so I love 20 minute play tests. Well, I'll say, hey guys, we're just going to play for 20 minutes. We're going to see what happens. And so personally, if I see a game that's just going off the rails, even if my initial, like my goal was to play the whole thing, I'm like, all right guys, we're, we're going to wrap it up here. It's not fun anymore. Right. And so once we hit that point, I realize, all right, I've got some good notes. I've got some information, some data where I can make some changes and adjustments. I really appreciate your guys' time because I don't want to burn those bridges with those people that have given me their time. And maybe I traded them pizza or, you know, some, some cookies or something like that for their time or whatever. Uh, but I don't want to burn that bridge because I want them to play it the next time. When I say, hey guys, I got, I got my game again. I made some tweaks, made some adjustments. You want to give it another shot. If they had a terrible experience last time, they might be a lot less likely to say yes for this next time. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of just calling it early. Well, let's, let's go do something else. Let's play another game and, and try something else. Absolutely, Gabe. You hit it right on the head there. And uh, I'll underline it by saying that um, whenever you have that issue during a play test, if you're not going to be getting any more information that is going to help you make this game better, then stop the test. Yeah. And, and that could be because now people are motivated totally differently because this person's way on the lead. So I don't really care. This, my actions don't mean anything anymore. So all of a sudden their actions aren't really the actions they would take if they were truly being competitive because they can't be competitive or for whatever the reason the game is broken. So definitely if, uh, and I call this all the time when I'm playing with other designers and I'm realizing like, this is the same round over and over again, um, just with different cards. I'm like, do you, do you, are you going to be getting, I asked them, are you going to be getting any more information if we continue testing, even if it's not fully broken, but it's like, it's not working or whatever. Um, and then they, they actually pause and think about it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. There's no, it's kind of the same from here on out. I'm like, okay, let's move to feedback. That's where the, the juicy part is going to be. Now there are some times where depending on how severe the, uh, the fault or the thing that's broken is, you might be able to actually tweak it on the fly. If you're 20 minutes in and you realize this one item is like uh, cost $3 to buy and, and somebody's like dominating with it early, you're like, okay, you know what? From now on, this thing costs $6. Right. Uh, you know, you might get people to complain. Those people are playing the game. And just like you said, we're play testing. It's fine. Yes, you should play to win, but we're play testing to uh, determine where the fun is in the game. So um, hopefully your play testers understand that and aren't mad that this person bought it for three and now you're buying it for six. The idea is let's figure out where the fun is. Yeah, for sure. And I think really the best way to tackle this from the beginning is to set expectations before you even begin. Let the playtesters know, hey, you know, this is supposed to be a 60 minute game. If it's not going well, we'll call it at 20. 
uh, you know, just go ahead and let them know that. Or, you know, let them know, hey, you know, I'm still working out some bugs. I might change some numbers. I might tweak some things midway through the game. So if that happens, you know, I'm sorry if it messes up your strategy, but I'm still working on this. Let them know that these things might happen. That way, when they do, they shouldn't be as as upset about it. Gabe, I think that's a really good tip. I, I actually want to steal it and put it in my book. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> good it, tip. Man. Absolutely. Take it. Because uh, I think that's the best way. Just being upfront with people about what kind of game is this? How long do you expect it to take? What are the possibilities that might happen? Also giving people permission to raise their hand at any point in the game and go, I'm not enjoying this. I'm not having fun. Is it okay if we end at, after this round? Like, can we maybe stop playing and look around the table and maybe ask other people, are you kind of feeling the same thing? Because a lot of times people, they don't want to offend you. They don't want to hurt your feelings or anything. And so they might yeah. just sit there and, and endure it when they really wanted to stop playing 20 minutes ago. And that's that's not what you want. And so I feel like giving people permission just to say, hey, I think I'm, I think I'm done. Have you gotten enough information? Like, have you seen enough in the play test? Can we, can we end after this round? I think that's a great way just to begin the whole process before you even teach the game is just let people know, hey, that's okay. And, and you're going to, some people will be disappointed. You're like, oh, I, I still wanted to play. And like, that's great, actually. That's great mm-hmm. that you still wanted to play. So we'll play it again later, some other time, and it'll be even better. Yeah, for sure. Always leave people wanting more, you know, <laughs> so much better than, than staying too long. Uh, I want to go back into something you were saying a minute ago about being defensive. You know, this is something I actually learned in college. So I majored in, in English, majored in creative writing, and I had an amazing professor about midway through my college career. I got to take, I think, three classes with him. And it was just phenomenal, his, his approach, the way he taught and the, the information he taught and different things. But one of the things I loved about his class that really helped me, has helped me now later on, is whenever you had to turn in a short story, let's say there was 15 people in the class, you had to bring 15 copies of your story. You had to have one for other members, other 14 members of the class, and one for him. And everybody in the class would get a copy of your story, you know, 10 pages, whatever it was. And then the next class, everyone was required to bring in your story and have made marks, you know, edited and different things, gave new suggestions, you know, crossed out things they thought didn't belong, move things wrong, you know, just basically general editing of things. And then during that class period, and it usually be like two or three students that would kind of go through this. Um, everybody in class was, was going to critique your story. They would talk about what they liked, what they didn't like, what they thought worked, what didn't work, different, you know, grammar choices, all these different things. And while they were doing that, while these 14 people were talking, you were not allowed to say a word. If you said a word, you would fail. Like it was that, the stakes <laughs> were that high. And you had to just sit there and listen as people who totally misread your story, totally didn't understand what you were trying to trying to do, totally didn't get the the plot hooks and the different twists and turns and you were trying to create. They totally missed the mark on, on that. And they, they said all these things that were maybe a little bit hurtful you know, about your your writing style and things like that. And you right. could not say a word until the end. You had two minutes at the very end where you could say, here's what I was trying to do. Here's what I was thinking. Here's why I made this choice. That kind of thing. You had two minutes out of that you know, 25, 30 minute you know, round of critiques. And that was super helpful when I started game designing and playtesting because I just went into the same mode. I'm just going to sit here and listen. I'm going to write down these ideas, these these notes people are giving me. And I'm just going to say thank you at the end. I really appreciate you, you playing my game. Even if you totally miss it, even if you totally didn't understand the rules or how the game worked and you just totally just messed everything up, I'm going to say thank you. I really appreciate your time. I'm not going to debate because I don't want to fail. And I think that's been super helpful to me. And maybe if other people can pick up that mentality as well, it would be a, a lot help. It'd be a big help in, in getting from good to great as far as like figuring out playtesting and that kind of thing. That's a great point. Uh, I remember It reminds me of a, <clears throat> of a story I have playtesting um, a newer designer's game. And at the end, uh, people were giving feedback. One person was giving feedback and the designer was getting defensive and blah, blah, blah. And after the second or third time, I called him out on it right there. I'm like, hey, just uh, take, take a moment. And he was new to our group, so, so I, I felt okay doing this. And I'm like, hey, take, take a minute here and, and think about the, 
what Eric is saying here is uh, he's providing a solution that you disagree with. But why don't you try to analyze what is the problem that he's trying to solve? And that's the information you can take away from that feedback. And maybe you don't agree with the solution, which you should keep to yourself during a playtest, but try to understand the problem he's trying to solve, and that'll help you a lot. And he came back the next week, and he you could see his uh, uh, responses and the way he reacted uh, changed a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think this actually brings up something else I want to ask you about, is it can be so difficult to discern the problem that the playtester is having because they're usually giving you solutions. They're saying you could do this, you could do that. What if you tried this? But that's not really the issue. Like, how do you, like, how do you personally really get into the the nitty gritty of understanding what a playtester is telling you as far as, even if they don't say, I think the problem is this, if they're giving you solutions, like, how do you get into what the problem actually is? I mean, unfortunately, some of it is just with experience and right. you're going to get that as you uh, get more and more experience in game design and play testing. Um, but I mean, it's it's in how you ask the questions uh, and the types of questions you're asking. Um, I always like to start off with a positive no matter what. I'm like, so what did you like? What what what, what aspects did you like? What, what was fun? What was what made you happy? What was interesting? What was good decisions? Those kind of questions just to get that and get people um, um open to, to talking about your game. And I'm fortunate that I get to play test with a bunch of other game designers uh, every week. And so we're very honest and cool with all sorts of feedback. But I recognize that when you're play testing with your friends, your family, new people that haven't played before, sometimes it's uh, awkward for people, especially friends and family, to give you any kind of what is perceived as negative feedback, but there's no such thing as negative feedback. Um, so they often say, no, it's the game's great. Yeah, it's really good. And that's all they can say. And so I recognize that that's the hard part to get that real honest feedback. And so definitely, there's definitely ways you can ask questions uh, to get into that kind of critical and um, better feedback, um, starting with the good stuff. Always start with the good stuff to get them talking. And then you could do blanket statements like what could be improved and that you may or may not have success in that, depending on how open people are talking uh, are in sharing that kind of stuff. Um, but you could get into more specific things like, you know, how did the theme help the gameplay? Uh, did did the theme work? Is there anything missing in that theme? Is there something in that theme that you ex- were expecting to happen that didn't happen in this theme? Um, did uh, the game last an appropriate length of time for the amount of decisions that were in it? Uh, was it too long, too short? Or, hey, if this game could be made 5% better, what would what would ha- have to happen? To me, that's one of the best questions to ask because that gets them really critical. And then for sure, somebody's you're not asking what's wrong with it. You're saying, how could it be better? And that just twists a phrase, a lot, opens the door for people to go, oh, well, you know what? If there's a, a better way to get uh, resources, uh, that, that, I think that would help the flow a lot. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, for sure. And I love how that keeps things more on the positive side, right? Instead of just ragging on the game yeah. and talking about how terrible it is, it kind of keeps things more, you know, positive, more flowing. Now, those sound like very, they, those sound like very set questions. Or do you have like a set list of questions or like a form that you give to playtesters or anything like that? I don't give. I've never given anything to a playtester. I think all the notes is on the designer. Like designers responsible for taking all the notes because you're taking notes not just on what people say but on how they react during the game, uh, questions they ask during the game. You're keeping track of a lot of stuff that's going on during a playtest. Yeah, and let's, let's actually talk about that. What are you looking for during a playtest? What are the notes that you're taking? You know, trying to figure out where this game's going. Yeah, you you want to keep uh, you want to uh, recognize the engagement level of the of your playtesters. Like, 
not necessarily counting how many times they check their phone, but you want to kind of keep an eye out for how engaged are they? How much are they in the game and invested in the game versus kind of side conversations and checking the phone and whatnot? That's one thing I kind of think. You want to look at facial expressions. Um, if you're not playing, if you're playing, sometimes it's hard to do this, but if you're able to be the observer while you're, for your play test, you want to look at um, anytime somebody's got a frowny face or a confused face, or the worst thing is a mad face when they're like frustrated that they can't do the thing they want to do. And note what's happening in the game. Like, okay, during this trading thing, he was really frustrated he couldn't do the trade because the restrictions in the rules didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do. And then talk about that afterwards. I noticed that you, this part here was frustrating to you. Can you tell me about, about that? You know, yeah, I mean, I wanted to trade this, but the rules say you can only do it once per turn, but I didn't know it or I didn't. I'm like, oh, he didn't know it. Maybe I should put that in a player aid or whatever the solution is. You know, you, you, you're asking about emotions about, uh, and those are, uh, not necessarily him telling you a solution about what. So you're just saying, why were you frustrated? And he's not going to give you a solution there. He's going to tell you why that person was frustrated. Uh, other things I'm looking for is uh, the strategies. This is more as we get near the end. I want to see how did the winning player win? I want to note, um, oh, it looks like in this game, whoever uh, collected the most Hearthstone is, is winning the game. And over time, I, I might notice it's like, well, that's like, four out of every five games the winning person's got wins with hearthstone maybe i should uh, check out the balance of that because that seems too powerful of a an easy of a strategy so those are things i'd be paying attention to uh during a play test uh i'd probably write down any questions they ask uh during the play test um if it's a rules clarification um i'd write it down if i had explained it because that meant they forgot and it didn't feel relevant at the time. Um, so the, why did they forget? Again, should that be on a player aid? Or is it not intuitive? Or is it... What's, I, I have to obviously come up with a solution for it, but I, I try to figure out why are you asking these questions? Sometimes I might even ask them that afterwards. I'm like, oh, why are you asking that? It's like, because I can't remember. I can never keep a track because I get confused with this other thing. Maybe it's terminology. I've had that before. We've had the difference between like a pedestal and an altar. I'm like, and those are confusing terms kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, you're right. Maybe those are two confusing terms. Yeah, those are some really, really good things to track. I think it's, it's really good to have maybe somehow separate in your notes the subjective and the objective, right? So if you've got emotional things going on, players are frustrated, you know, not understanding different things, maybe that's a subjective thing and, and track that on one side. And then you also have objective, like what are the scores midway through the game? Is one strategy just way out in front of the others? You know, but does that, but also does that balance out at the end? Maybe one strategy really good from beginning to mid, but not so great from mid to end, you know, uh, tracking how long did this game take? How many turns or how many rounds did it go? That was super helpful for me. In my latest game, I had a space Absolutely. game and I was making a solo variant. And so I needed the the solo AI system to have a certain number of cards that represent a certain number of turns. And so I started tracking, well, how many rounds, how many turns does the average game last or how many you know does the average player get and then i could you know change my ai system based on that and so i started tracking that and tracking how long the game take what were the final scores you know is are these abilities balanced or overpowered or underpowered that kind of thing so i feel like you know having two sections objective and subjective uh, is a really good way to kind of keep track of things as well yeah i think getting into the the scoring like i would keep track of every um element of scoring separately yeah. so not just have a total score because you want to find out like how many points did they get from digging tunnels Absolutely. versus uh their statue tunnel versus the great hall tunnel uh scoring uh that because that'll again will show you like wow all the time this is where the most of the points come from is that good is that bad but it's, at least it's information for you to assess i would make sure i noted who the start player was to see if there's a start or end player advantage uh over time uh, you're like, oh, okay, this person always wins. It's the start player. That's something that you can track. That's that's definitely 
um, objective. Um, and and depending on the type of game, I might track something like how long did it take to get to the first battle, mm. if that's important in the game. It's a battle game, but it took like 20 minutes to get to the first battle. That's maybe not something I want in my game. So I'd, I'd definitely assess that. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of things like this. And I would keep track. This is, and here's a big one that I even struggle with this one as well. And I'm trying to get better at this one is before the play test. This is probably why I'm bad at it. And most people are, I find, uh, I would write down the key rule changes um, from the previous test that I'm wanting to test in this game. I think we all too often think in our heads that we're going to get it all. And we, we know all the changes because we just played it last week or whatever. And it, I know all the things, but it's happened to me time and time again, where I'm halfway through a test. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I was supposed to test this other thing. And now we're halfway through. I forgot. Uh, now I can't. I wasted that this test. So it's uh, I'm bad at it, but I, ha I have to get better at writing down the rule changes for this test before I start testing. Yeah, that's a great point. I think as designers, we, we often struggle with that curse of knowledge. Like all the ideas live in our head, but it's all the ideas from like 10 different versions of the game. So it's like, well, combat used to work like this. And then sometimes it's easy to forget that you changed how the dice work. You changed what the you know different uh, ratios yes. and things were. Another thing I want to add is being on the lookout for games playing out the exact same way for like the first three turns. That's one thing I really struggle with when, when my space game is that I started noticing is that the first three turns of play, everybody did the exact same thing. It's like, wow, this is, mm. this is not fun. Kind of what you're talking about. It takes 20 minutes to get to the first battle. It's like, well, how do we speed this game up? And so, you know, I noticed that pretty much every, every player, the first three turns, all they did was gather resources. I was like, okay, well, let's, let's just give you all those resources and let's start on turn four. And the game starts now on turn four. And you are, you just start the game with those resources and right. now you've got options. You've got stuff you can do as opposed to just going out and trying to gather resources. So I think it's another thing is just keeping track of what, like what happens at the beginning and is it the same thing over and over again? Yeah, we literally learned the exact same lesson with Belfort mm -hmm. and we uh, gave people resources because the first round was like everyone did the same boring thing and there was no you know building of buildings. So I was like, okay, forget that. Just give people resources and boom, on the first turn, they're building stuff, which is fun. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's talk about moving on from, okay, we talked about solo testing. We talked about testing with other people. We've talked about you know stepping mm -hmm. back and letting them test and you observe let's move on to yeah. the next stage which i assume is blind play testing which is super important and you know other designers think differently i've talked to some people that say they don't care about blind testing at all but i think it's important now <laughs> funny story i was talking to a guy this is a while back who sent me an email and he was trying to make his game better and uh, he was asking me what he could do and i said well have you done any blind play testing and he said do you mean like seeing if blind people like it's accessible to blind people <laughs> i was like good lord you have some things to learn my friend uh so no it's not about it being accessible to blind people that's a totally different kind of testing so what is blind <laughs> color, play testing? colorblind testing yes, that's, that's, colorblind. that's great that's a great point but let's get a good definition like what is blind play testing uh blind play testing is literally when you are not in the room when the game is being taught or um played so you're not explaining the rules, you're not there to answer questions about the rules, and you're not there to even watch. I mean, there is a little bit of a chance where you could be like kind of watching them and but not able to uh, uh, answer any questions. Uh, that's still quasi-blind, I guess, in a way. But a true blind playtest is like you, they're playing somewhere else and you're not even there. Yeah, for sure. I know Hasbro, they have like a like a room that has the mirrored glass and so the designer can be behind the glass and the, like the game players nice. don't actually see them. It's, it's kind of creepy in my mind, honestly. Creepy, but, yeah. uh, and there's also, I guess <laughs> if you film it, you could like, I know James Stenmeyer, Matt Leacock, Rob Davio, they will film play test, 
have Absolutely, to get a yeah. full on reaction and then just go back and look at the look at the tape, so to speak, get some popcorn and yep. just take take notes and whatnot. Yeah, they see the same thing. They get to see the reactions. Yep. They get to see the entire thing. All the question they get to hear the questions that are asked out loud. That's that's pretty wild and, and valuable. I find the the biggest value of blind playtesting for me personally, and maybe it's because I have a really good playtest group that I, I I can get my game. I'm confident I get my game to a good state uh, prior to this stage. Um, but it, I find it is in you're really testing the rule book, hmm. and if you're the kind of uh, uh, designer who's going to pitch a game to a publisher in whatever way that is, and but the first time that they're going to play the game is by reading your rule book, boy, you better make sure that rule book is 100% awesome. And as we all know, there are a million examples of rule books of published games that are not great. And it is a hard, hard, hard skill to learn, and I am not good at it. And uh, it is it is so hard to be to be good at rule rule making and uh, designing. And uh, one example of a, a story from from uh, uh, our playtesting and, and pitching days was we had a game, and it was quick. It was a quick reaction game. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a quick reaction game. It was it, whatever game. It was a card game. But anyways, we got feedback from the publisher and literally from their playtesters. Like we actually got to see them rating stuff. It was really cool, actually. We never really get that from publishers. And we got it back and uh, it, it averaged a 7 out of 10. And they, they're like, we'd like to get, have a game that's like 7.5 or higher to, to, move, to move on to the next round. We're like, oh, so close. Mm -hmm. And we're, so we're looking at the feedback. One of them said, uh, too much uh, memory in the game too much memory in the game and i'm like too much memory in the game what there is no memory what what what, what do you need memory for i'm trying to understand what they're doing i'm like oh my goodness are they when they take cards from another player are they keeping them face down and then having to remember that's not the point at all that has to be face up and i looked through the rules and yes it was in there but it was buried in a paragraph and take the cards face up from your opponent blah 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 moving on and so you can see how even though my rules were accurate they still misinterpreted because they blew through it and they assumed to keep those face down. And there wasn't a picture to show. Uh, and as an example, this is what, how you take your card. So I find blind, blind playtesting would catch a lot of that kind of stuff um, and then make your game even better. Even though it's the exact same game, uh, oftentimes I find your blind playtesting just a rule book. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I found and I found success with is so I've got access to a lot of different types of gamers where I live. There's a community here and all different, you know, some people that love Uno and they love Munchkin all the way to some people who love Caverna, right? So like the full spectrum. And so one of the things I, nice. one of the things I really love doing, especially when I'm about to pitch a game or I'm about to send a, a rule book in for like a contest or something like that, is I'll talk to a few of these different people and I'll hand them the box, like whatever my prototype box, you know, game is, whatever box, I'll say, here, I want you to show me how to play this game. And, and obviously it has to be people who haven't played the game. And so they'll, they'll take, they'll open the box. They'll start looking at the components. They'll take out the rule book and they'll just start trying to teach me the game. And I don't say a word. I just mentally, I make notes about the things they get wrong, about the things they don't understand, about the things they're not sure about the components. Like, well, does this mean this cube or that cube? And I just basically blind play test kind of the rule book where I just have somebody teach me. And I, it's really cool to see how the player that likes Uno games teaches it versus the player who likes Caverna teaches it. And then try to find that happy medium somewhere in the middle, you know, where you're not too over somebody's head, but you're also not being too simple for, for somebody else. And really trying to figure out like, who's this game for and making sure the rule book lines up with that style of player as well. So I, I think that's a cool way to, to kind of blind play test your, your book. That's a great tip. Another great tip from Gabe here. This is you're on fire today, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I've just made a lot of mistakes and realized uh, better ways to do things. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I'm, that's what all play testing is about. It's about making mistakes and being happy with that you made mistakes because then that'll uh, let you succeed sooner. Yeah, that is a really, really good point. All right, let's talk about different styles. Like, help me understand. Like, what is your style of play testing? Because I know you know I talked to Eric Lang uh, a while back, and he said he doesn't even ask questions after the the game is played. He's he's getting all his information during the play test, and so mm. when the game's over, he's like, "Thank y'all, really appreciate all playing." He doesn't even ask questions at the end. And so I've talked to some designers who don't care anything about bomb playtesting. So I think everybody's kind of got their own style and way of doing things. Yeah, what yeah. are some of the things that you found that really just work for you or work for you and Sin as far as your games? I I definitely enjoy playing the games because I like to feel the experience uh, as much as possible until we're into the the last phase of the of the playtesting. Um, and I am cool with making changes on the fly and I'm cool with stopping playtests. I do that all the time. And I definitely enjoy the feedback phase. I think that's a valuable phase. And I possibly, because I'm playtesting with a bunch of other game designers, I'm fortunate that we have a game design group uh, here in Vancouver that we meet up every week and we all playtest each other's games. So we all have, you know, a certain, I don't know, brain to that, that looks at games in a different way. And it's definitely not saying that um, non-game designers uh, are better or worse playtesters. Uh, you need you need playtesters from all spectrums. I just enjoy playtesting also with game designers. And uh, yeah, and I love the feedback phase. I love just hearing other people's ideas and seeing, you know, uh, where the problems were and trying to come up with solutions. And um, I, I like that part of the, of the process a lot because that gets me excited to get back to my computer to tweak my prototype. Yeah, very cool. Now, do you have any kind of just tips and tricks? It's just in the general process. Like, do you always make sure to feed your playtesters? Like, is there just a an understanding mm. as far as that goes? Or like just any other kind of tips and tricks that would help somebody who's maybe just starting out? If it's come over to my place and I'm, we're just going to be playtesting my games, then I think you're you're pretty not it's not mandatory obviously nothing mandatory but i i would feel bad if i didn't provide some sort of food with them i i usually do say that in the invite I'm like come on over to my head we're gonna play for four hours and it's all my games that i need testing because i'm going to a convention next the week after and i need some feedback and tips and whatnot uh yeah i would feed them um i always regardless of the, what kind of play test i always like to try to make sure i take a, a photo of the game end state yeah. um this is especially key when you're working with a design partner and that design partner isn't there at that test. Mm. That's going to be key for you to not only remember some of the things, but also help you analyze afterwards with the design partner about the choices. You're like, oh, I see that player did this. What was, what happened there? And you can tell stories and, and, and you can even rebalance some math. And we did that before with Mountain King. We were like, it feels like Hearthstone was, was an issue where it was too valuable. It was too, it was too much of a key strategy. So we're like, well, let's, let's look at the last few games. Games, and if we change the value a little bit of the Hearthstone, how would that play out in the uh, end game? And so that was actually very valuable that we had a bunch of photos of the end game state for all the, of our last few games. Yeah, awesome. Now, I want to I talk about your, your, your Fail Faster book. Uh, mm. Now, normally when people come on the show and they talk about their Kickstarter, I give them a couple minutes at the end and just talk through, you know, oh, tell me your game, I was two to four players, it's 60 minutes, whatever. Well, with this, it's a little more specific, right? This is very, very specific to game design. And so I wanted you to talk just a little bit about how you came up with this idea, because I'm super intrigued, right? As a game designer, as a person that <laughs> loves this stuff and loves creating content to help other game designers, I am super intrigued about how you kind of came up with this idea. And, and just tell me about the thing overall. Tell me about the project. Sure. So as a, in a nutshell, first, it's a fail faster playtesting journal. It's a, it's a journal to help guide designers to take the notes that they need to take in order to become better at playtesting and hopefully better designers. And it started like 
five or six years ago when I started teaching game design at the Vancouver Film School. They have a video game design program, and one of the courses they have to take is on analog games and learning um, game mechanics and game theory. They learn that through me, as well as actually through Graham Yons. We alternate teaching. He's my co-designer for Hall of the Mountain King as a little side note of interest. And um, in that class, their final project is making a board game. And uh, one of part of their marks for that is they get just kind of like any good class, you get marked on your process. And the process here is your playtesting. And so uh, I think it's upwards of 20% of their mark comes from playtesting. They have to hand in some playtesting notes. And to ensure that it wasn't just random notes on a piece of paper, I created a, a, a two page sheet that just had some general information here, list your playtesters here, list your observations, list what would you change and blah, blah, blah. And they have to fill that out every time. And then last year, um, around this time, actually, I decided I was going to hold a little um, mini convention, and that's that's uh, being generous in that using that word, um, a little party for myself. It was my birthday, and so I called it JCon, and uh, it was it was a couple weeks before a big event I go to called the Gathering, happens in Niagara Falls in April, and it's one of my biggest events to go to to, to pitch games. And I wanted to get a few of my games kind of ready for that. For that, and I so I, I invited all all sorts of people to come to this, mostly game designers that were going to come. I said we'll play test uh, anybody's game because we'll hopefully have a bunch of people. But I I have a goal. It's I want to get through and get enough uh, testing on my games done. So there's going to be pizza. I'm going to offer prizes. I gave away a lot of my copies of uh, games that I've of mine that I've designed. And for some reason, I thought it would be a, a, a cute or interesting thing to create a little playtesting book. And I, I kind of put something together and I kind of kept coming up with more ideas and kind of stuffing it in there. And then I just went to Staples and got it printed and uh, just paid for it out of my own pocket just for, you know, as a little, for some reason. I don't know why I did it, but I just did it and gave it away to all the designers that came. And the feedback I got from it was immense. Like everybody was afterwards was like, this is really cool. And other people that didn't come to the party were like, can I get one of those books? And then people are starting to run out because they filled up their books. And they're like, can I get another one of those books? And it started making me think, I'm like, There's, is there something to this? Like, are people needing this as a tool? And so from there, I started the process of like, I think this might be a thing. And I, I hired a graphic designer, worked with them for a few months to try to tweak it and come up with the best looking thing and i i tweeted this i i it was as if we were play testing that journal for the last year and through all the feedback from them i created this next version which is now the kind of polished version and and at its core it's uh, got 36 play test pages in there and it's in double side like two sides and it keeps track of all the things you need to keep track of with play tester names um and in the order of the, that they play their turns, all the different scoring columns for different scorings. Um, when did you start explaining the rules? When did you end? When did you start playing the game? When did you end? Uh, what were the rule changes? So it's now has, it has reminders of things you need to take um, notes on. It has observations that you can write during the play test and a section for your winning player strategy. And then there's this, the biggest section, obviously is just the feedback session. And, and the, one of the nice things here is I, the, it has a few questions there as a samples of things you could ask. And those questions actually are different on every single page. And so this gives you a, um, a lot of variety of things to ask. And I actually, uh, at the beginning of the book, the questions are guided as if your game is in uh, the kind of the alpha stage. And then it goes through beta. And then by the end, it goes into what we call the gamma stage, which is you're pretty close to pitching it to a publisher stage. And so the, the, the questions kind of get more and more towards a finished game by the end. 
And then there's uh, other tools and tips in this book to make it more useful for a game designer than just a notebook. Um, there's pro tips. Every page has a different pro tip um, from my 15 years of experience in game design. There is a first page has a, some stuff on goals where you can kind of write down your own goals of what you're trying to accomplish. And you can uh, shade in your progress on how you're doing with your goals. And speaking of shading in, I've, I've kind of gamified the playtesting process, which is kind of a tickle to me. I think that's a really, uh, I was really excited when I kind of came up with this idea. Of, I've identified 10 behaviors that I think are important when you're playtesting. And so as you demonstrate these behaviors, you go to this uh, front cover and you shade in a little progress bar that you did at this time. And every so often you're going to get to this, there's a there's badges along these progress bars. When you get to a badge, you actually get to flip to the front cover and there's like a little kind of like a Boy Scout sash down the front and all these different badges. You actually get to sh shade in or color in that badge saying that you've earned that badge. And I think that's really neat. And, and if we get to a, one of our stretch goals on Kickstarter, those, those badges will turn into stickers. There'll be a sticker page at the back of the book and you can just slap on a new sticker every time you earn a badge. And so that to me is pretty cool, especially if you're a newer game designer and you, you need whatever way you can, anything you can get to help you stay motivated and, and, and guide you to the habits and behaviors that are going to help you become better. And if this is the way to do it, then I think that's going to be great. And then the last couple of ideas in here, there's there's a game idea generator in here in which um, you roll a couple of dice and it, it helps you choose a random mechanic, a random theme and a random constraint. And that's a great idea. And if you don't have two dice, Another kind of neat thing is you can flip to any page and there's two, a random 2D6 result in the corner of the page. So that's great. If, even if you forgot dice for your actual playtest of a game that requires dice, you can just flip to a page to roll two dice. Um, and then even on the back cover, it folds out the back cover and there's a scoreboard that you can have. And it folds out because it still allows you to actually use your journal and take notes while the scoreboard is folded out from the back cover. So those are some of the tips and tools and ideas and things that are in the journal. Yeah, it, it's awesome. It sounds like a really, really cool project. My favorite part is the uh, the gamification. And you sent me a, a prototype a while back and kind of let me check it out uh, a few weeks ago. And I was like, man, is it is this gamified? Like, did you gamify playtesting? And so it's just a really cool concept. And, and I, again, I think a lot of people are going to get some good use out of it. You know, if it, again, it's like any tool. If you use it, then it can help make you better, you know, just like any other tool yeah. that you might have in your in your tool shed. And I think uh, the more people use it, the more they just kind of lean on it as a helpful guide, helpful aid, the better they'll become and maybe get to a point where they don't need it anymore. I feel like maybe it could also just be a good bridge, you know, for especially for new designers trying to figure out what, how do I do this? And maybe kind of, kind of come up with their own system. It's a good, a good system to use maybe for a while and then kind of create your own and, you know, borrow ideas from here and there and steal ideas from here and there. And then, you know, kind of create your own style of doing things. While that's, while that's possible, I think the, the stuff in here, I think you're always going to need. You're always going to need your playtesters' names. You're always going to need to know the scores. You're always going to need to know how long your game lasted. You're always going to need to know the rules change. Like, there's things in here. You might not need some of the tools, like a game idea generator all the time and all this kind of stuff. But I think I think for the actual playtesting note section, which is the bulk, the core of the, of the book, you're going you're gonna to need the, the space to write this information. So it's just laid out in a way that just makes it easy for you. Awesome. Well, man, I really hope it does uh, well on Kickstarter. And if you listen to this, it should be on Kickstarter right now. I think I'm, I'm launching this episode around the same time it is on Yay. Uh, Kickstarter. And so awesome. March 5th to March 28th. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, cool, man. Well, <laughs> before we sign off, do you have any like closing thoughts, closing advice for somebody, maybe dealing with playtesting, maybe trying to get in to figure out what this whole playtesting is? What would you say? If you're super new, I would just say that uh, you have to 
you have to know that nobody really knows anything as much as we, Gabe and I are sitting here th- saying that we know a lot of stuff and we're super smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody really knows anything. And so you don't have to worry about not knowing things. Just keep doing the things that you enjoy doing. If you like making games, if that's fun for you, keep doing that. Um, and just be open to, uh, uh, to uh, variety is my kind of a tip there. I think, Sometimes some game designers get get stuck on one game and they possibly get down a hole in which they can't get out of with figuring out how to solve the issues in one game. And that's happened to me. And my solution is move on to another game and start designing something else. And sometimes I come back to that game that had a problem and I, I'm able to fix it. And sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I'm able to borrow elements from that game and sometimes I'm not. But just kind of if you like making games then keep making games. If you like making this one game, that's more of a challenge. If it's just one game and you have to make this, this is the best game that's ever going to exist in the history of time. That's setting yourself up for some uh, harsh realities, I think. But as long as you enjoy the process of making games, just keep doing it. Awesome. Well, Jake, man, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?